Amen. As we stand, let's uh, pray, shall we? Uh, Lord God, we've uh, spoken of overcoming uh, by the blood of the Lamb and uh, by your words. And we pray that as we look at your word now, you would uh, strengthen us, that we would uh, follow you uh, more closely and love you more dearly. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Do please uh, take a seat. And uh, I have my own welcome to you, uh, to that of Nigel's uh, start of our service. It's lovely to uh, have you uh, with us. Uh, I wonder if you've heard the story of the bishop who um, heard one of his uh, vicars was not particularly well regarded, and he received quite a lot of letters uh, complaining about him. And he decided that the best way of establishing whether these uh, complaints really had any foundation uh, was to go and visit the church. Uh, he went to uh, do a surprise visitation to the church. Uh, he sort of heard the, the vicar and, uh, and, and spoke to him and so on and so forth. But he thought for um, the best opinion, he really ought to ask uh, the verger. The verger was renowned for his honesty. That didn't mince his words. So he, the bishop decided he'd ask the, uh, the, the, the verger for his opinion on the vicar. Well, apparently the verger thought for a moment, and this is uh, all that he would say. Well, six days he's invisible. On the seventh, he's incomprehensible. <laughs> I don't know whether that story's true, but I think it probably um, gets to the heart of what a lot of people uh, think about uh, Christian leaders today. Uh, they've got a bit of a cushy number, haven't they? I mean, if I, was, uh, if I had a pound for every time someone said to me, it must be lovely working one day a week, I would be a very wealthy man, I assure you. Far more wealthy than you are as a church and clergyman, I should say. I think it's the same kind of idea that lay behind the lady who, when I was training for uh, ordination, I was in Oxford, and I happened to go to an event, and she found out what I did, uh, said to me, oh, that's wonderful, dear. I think everyone should have a hobby. (laughs) It's that kind of idea, isn't it? Uh, There's that idea that uh, church leadership is a cushy number, a soft job. There's also the idea that church leadership is really for those who can't manage to do anything else at all. And that probably uh, sums up some of the portrayals of Christian leaders on TV. They always tend to be a little bit uh, limp-wristed, a little bit fake, a little bit, uh, frankly, ineffectual. I think it also probably gets to the heart of this advert that I saw in the church press uh, a while back. Are you 45 and getting nowhere? Why not consider Christian ministry? Those are some thoughts uh, that we might have on being a Christian leader or a Christian minister. But those thoughts really could not be further from uh, the thoughts of the Apostle Paul, as we see it in this chapter, the second chapter of the uh, second letter that he wrote to uh, to Timothy. We're having a few weeks uh, looking at this letter. It's got a lot to say to us as a church at this time. We're thinking about what it looks like to call someone to be uh, our next senior leader. And in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul really is laying out a job description for the faithful Christian worker. And really, as we can see in this chapter, far from it being an easy job, this is a job that's going to involve relentless hard graft and hard work. Uh, Far from being a job that, uh, frankly, anyone who's failed at everything else can do, it's a job that requires uh, constant uh, skill and courage. And I think in particular in this uh, chapter 2, Paul gives us two essentials that have to appear on the job description of any uh, Christian leader. There are two particular tasks that every Christian leader in every generation and in every situation is called to. Uh, And the first one is this. Christian leaders are to be faithful 
in suffering for the gospel. Christian leaders are to be faithful in suffering for the gospel. Uh, If you were with us uh, last week, uh, you'll know that uh, we, we left Paul encouraging Timothy to stand firm for the gospel in the power of God. You can see it there, can't you, in the middle of chapter 1, verse 14. He said, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I think it's a mark of how serious the situation is in Ephesus, where Timothy is based, that again, as we start chapter 2, he repeats it. It's the same kind of idea, isn't it? Uh, Verse 1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Make no mistake, Timothy is to be faithful in suffering for the gospel, in the strength and the grace uh, of our God. But, says Paul, he's not to be faithful on his own. He's not to be faithful on his own. Instead, he goes on, he says he's to raise up alongside him other faithful Christian leaders who will be able to carry on the work of the gospel alongside him, who will be able to sort of shoulder uh, some of the burden, as it were. He says, doesn't he, verse 2, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men. That could also be women as well, it's not a a gender issue here, reliable men and women who will also be qualified uh, to teach others. Uh, When a leader is under fire, it's all too easy for them to retreat into their shell, to try and kind of plough on it alone. It's a lot easier to do things often on your own than it is to hand it on uh, or encourage uh, other people to take it on as well. And yet the pattern of Christian leadership in the New Testament uh, actually is always plural. It's always shared leadership. It's never solo. It's not about lone rangers just going off and doing it all by themselves. It's about shared leadership. And Paul is saying here that that however hard it might be for Timothy, whatever else is going on in this church situation in Ephesus, he is to give his time to training up people of integrity who know the gospel and who in turn can pass it on to others. Uh, The word that we might use for that today, a sort of Christian jargon word, is discipleship. Uh, A a gospel-hearted pastor, says Paul, is a pastor who's serious about discipleship. Someone who takes seriously uh, raising up other mature Christian workers around him. Uh, He's not uh, trying to be the the tall poppy, uh, the one who is the boss, who everyone kind of uh, bows down to their opinion. Uh, He's the one who should be taking initiative in raising up others around him to serve with him. There's another sort of picture we might use, if you want to look at it this way, it's passing on the baton of uh, the gospel to the next generation. Not hugging it to himself, but passing it on. I'm sure that Paul knew that if Timothy did that, then that would be a great help to him in Ephesus. It's a great help to any pastor to have faithful Christian workers uh, alongside them. But there is something else that Timothy can't escape from. And it's there, isn't it, in verse 3. And it's the note that dominates, really, this chapter, and indeed, actually, much of 2 Timothy. And it's a sobering one, isn't it? Paul says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Endure hardship. Or the uh, English Standard Version puts it like this. Share in suffering. That sort of sense of a a call to suffer 
uh, for the gospel. Uh, There's no way around it. Christian ministry, Christian leadership, is a call to suffering. Well, maybe Timothy is reading this and thinking, well, what does that mean? Well, it sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? What does it mean? Well, to help him understand, and I think to encourage him as well in this task, uh, Paul goes on to give him sort of four pictures or four examples to consider. Uh, they're, they're all slightly different. They've got a slightly different emphasis, but broadly they all say the same thing. Uh, each of them is an example of someone who needs to work hard in order to bring in a reward. And you can see that, can't you, if we have a, a closer look at them. Uh, the first picture is the picture of a, uh, a soldier. Verse 4, Paul says that no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Uh, well, no, you won't be. That a soldier is called to surrender his comforts as a civilian to, uh, in order to obey orders, to, to not necessarily do what he wants to do, but to obey somebody who uh, is in control, who's in charge of him. And by doing so, that will ultimately bring victory. Uh, There will never be victory if every uh, soldier decides to do his own thing or isn't prepared uh, to uh, surrender things uh, in order to win the fight. Got the second picture, haven't we? The picture of the athlete, uh, verse 5. He says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, Again, an athlete is someone who is called to submit to a grueling training program. Uh, and so they're called to submit to the rules that govern their particular uh, competition. If they want to have any chance of a gold medal, those two things uh, are indispensable. Paul goes on, doesn't he? The picture of the farmer, verse 6. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Uh, again, a, a farmer must be somebody who's prepared to sacrifice in order to see reward. Maybe it's early mornings. Uh, maybe it's uh, having uh, no holidays, uh, whatever it might be. It's going to be a hard work in order to tend to the crops all year round, whatever the weather, whatever the time of year, to reap the best harvest that is possible. And what is true for all of those individuals is also true for Christian leaders as well. Christian leaders are called to give wholehearted commitment to the service of Jesus Christ. They're called to stay at their posts, even when they're under fire. There might be fire from outside, at the kind of Christian world. It may even be friendly fire from those who frankly should be on their side, and that happens uh, often enough. Christian leaders are called to compete according to the rules, if we want to use Paul's imagery. Uh, Paul has already said in 1 Timothy, in his first letter, that uh, Timothy is to train himself in godliness, They have to take seriously uh, the need to grow in godliness and holiness, uh, to keep going, to endure for the marathon of Christian ministry uh, with their eyes on the prize of the hope of the unfading crown of glory that the Lord promises them. They're called to toil, just like the farmer, year in, year out, in uh, our Lord's vineyard. Because Jesus himself said, didn't he, that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. The Christian leader is called to be faithful in suffering for the gospel. But there is, of course, one picture above all, one example that uh, Paul uh, points Timothy to. 
And it is the example in verse 8 of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering. Uh, The Lord Jesus is the ultimate example of what Paul is talking about here. Uh, In his life and his death, he exemplifies selfless sacrifice. Uh, His own words, his own description of why he came was that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die on the cross, to die the death that you and I deserved, to bear our sins so that we could be forgiven and reconciled with God our Heavenly Father. And he calls those who are his friends to follow in his footsteps. Uh, Where he is, his servants also will be, so he said. And Paul tells us that we can trust what he says. Verse 11, here is a trustworthy saying. We can trust his promises. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. That was the pattern for the Lord Jesus. It's blessing through pain, fruit through hard work, life through death. As it was for Jesus, so it will be for Timothy, so it will be for every Christian leader and every Christian minister. The Christian leader is someone who is faithful in suffering for the gospel. Uh, I said in the vestry, I've been reading this this week, and I've been reminded that it is sobering stuff, isn't it? And I I guess that's uh, uh, perhaps the opinion that you're forming as we're looking at it. It is sobering stuff to read, and we can't really avoid that. And yet, it's the pattern that really I think many Christian leaders uh, would recognise. One of my great uh, Christian heroes in Christian history is a man called Charles Simeon. I don't know if you've ever heard of Charles Simeon, but Charles Simeon was the vicar of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, in the centre of Cambridge, uh, for an astonishing 54 years. That is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> we have somebody on the wall who was one of the previous rectors of Holy Trinity. There's a plaque just, uh, just there on the wall by the steps who was rector for 34 years, which is a pretty decent stretch of time. But 54 years is absolutely astonishing. Uh, Charles Simeon had an amazing ministry, a wonderfully fruitful ministry. He was a a wonderful preacher who took seriously the call to raise up uh, men and women for the gospel. But in his early years at Holy Trinity Church, uh, he really suffered a lot of opposition. He was not popular at all. In fact, I think things got so bad, at one point he was locked out of his own church uh, because the, uh, the, uh, the church wardens and the uh, people in power at the time didn't like him at all. That hasn't happened to me, so... <laughs> Cross fingers crossed. <laughs> I think he would recognise this picture that Paul is laying out. Uh, he knew what it meant to be faithful in suffering for the gospel. Yes, he had a fruitful ministry, but it was accompanied by much suffering. Maybe I think of another example, uh, perhaps a more recent example. My, my father has a, a friend who's a Pakistani pastor called Pastor Hashmat. He leads a church in Peshawar. Uh, I, he uh, came to stay with us for a while when I was, uh, I was younger, uh, and I was amazed to hear of some of his stories. He uh, leads a church, as I say, in Peshawar, only a small fellowship, uh, but he admitted that they were constantly in fear of attacks uh, from Islamic radicals. Uh, his church had been firebombed on several occasions. Uh, one of his um, elders had just disappeared, and nobody knew what happened to him. Uh, I think he knew, or he knows, because he's still out there, what uh, it means to be faithful 
in suffering for the gospel. Uh, We can't escape it. Uh, Christian leadership, if we've got it right, will undoubtedly involve suffering. It will maybe involve enduring direct opposition, like Charles Simeon or Pastor Hashmat. It might be suffering in a more sort of prosaic sense, just putting in years and years of hard work for apparently very, very little payoff. And yet there's a wonderful encouragement here, isn't there, that uh, Paul gives us. Uh, It's not suffering for nothing. We labour hard for the Lord, knowing that he is faithful. If we are faithful, he is faithful even more so. And he will recognise his faithful ones in due time. A Christian leader must be faithful in suffering for the gospel. Well, that's the first essential that we uh, have for the job description in this chapter. What's the second one? Uh, The second essential is this. Christian leaders must be faithful in speaking out the gospel. Christian leaders must be faithful in speaking out the gospel. Uh, uh, The background to to Timothy is that uh, Timothy is contending in Ephesus, in his church, uh, with false teachers. Uh, false teachers who've entered the church, and they're distorting the good news uh, about Jesus. And, and so far, Paul's strategy to Timothy for, 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 uh, for confronting them has largely been a defensive strategy. He's been encouraging him to stay faithful under pressure, and that is definitely part of it. He just needs to hang on in there, grit his teeth, uh, get his head down, and stay faithful. But there's also an offensive side to dealing with with uh, these false teachers. And this is where uh, Paul uh, takes us next. He says, Timothy is called not only to be faithful to the gospel, faithful suffering for the gospel, but faithful in speaking out the gospel that he has received and believed. And again, you can see that from the start of the second section of our reading, verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. It's a word ministry, a spoken ministry, Uh, reminding people of the good news of Jesus. And just as he did in uh, in, uh, the the first half of the chapter, Paul again uses uses some pictures to help Timothy and us to understand uh, what this means and what this looks like. Uh, Firstly, he says that the Christian leader is to be somebody who handles Scripture accurately. They're to be faithful in speaking the gospel by handling it accurately, like a careful workman. Uh, Verse uh, 15, Paul says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Uh, That word that Paul uh, uses there is the word that they use to describe a craftsman, somebody who's perhaps cutting out a a dead straight piece of wood. Or you could also use it to describe uh, somebody who was building a Roman road. You know Roman roads were famous for being uh, dead straight. And it's that same kind of idea. It's a very graphic picture. And Paul says that just as a good craftsman is someone who should be careful to handle the scriptures well, uh, so so, uh, a good craftsman is somebody who should be able to handle uh, wood well or to uh, cut out a clear path. So also the Christian leader is someone who is careful to handle their material well, uh, the Bible. Uh, There's to be somebody who teaches it accurately and properly to God's people. It's not going to be an easy job. It's going to involve uh, discipline in giving time to study it, uh, to wrestle with it, to understand what it's saying and how it applies to uh, the church family. It'll involve faithfulness to proclaim it 
uh, rather than the godless chatter that Paul says the false teachers are proclaiming. But that's what the Christian leader is to do. To take care, take every effort to handle the Bible properly. Not tweaking it, not cutting out the bits that they think people won't like or they might not like. Uh, And it's very, very easy uh, to do that. Uh, Charles Simeon, who I referred to earlier, uh, puts it wonderfully like this in a quote that I found particularly uh, helpful. Uh, He described his task like this. He said, My endeavour is to bring out of Scripture what is there and not to thrust into it what I think might be there. I have a great jealousy on this head. Never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the Spirit in the passage that I am expounding. That is a wonderful example. That's a wonderful summary of what Paul is saying here. That's the task of the Christian leader, to handle Scripture so carefully. Uh, a great jealousy, Simeon says. Uh, not to, to add things, not to take things away, but to handle it well. That God's people might be built up by the truth of his word, that false teaching might be exposed and brought to nothing. Uh, second picture. Uh, Paul tells us that the Christian leader is to be faithful in speaking God's word as a holy person, like a clean piece of crockery. And this is a slightly unusual uh, illustration that Paul gives us. Verse 20, he says, In a large house there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. What on earth is Paul talking about there? Well, he is getting across this idea that not only is the Christian leader to handle Scripture accurately, but he's somebody, or she, is somebody who is to make sure their own life is conformed to it as well. We should be thinking here a picture like Downton Abbey, for example, I should say. A big kind of country house, and you'll know there'll be upstairs and downstairs, of course, and upstairs for the great banquets, there will be uh, the the, the best wedgewood, the best silver that's brought out for the the fine uh, special occasions, the special banquets. And downstairs, there will be sort of scratched plates and cheap pots and things like that, things that sort of Wilco's cheapies uh, things for the everyday meals. And that's the kind of picture that, that Paul is kind of conjuring up for us. And he's saying that the Christian leader, this is really any Christian, should be striving to be the best crockery. The person who the Lord can bring out for the special occasion. To strive to be as as good as possible. Someone for noble purposes, uh, he says. An instrument for noble purposes made holy, useful uh, to the master. Paul is really reminding Timothy that when we listen to false teaching and we allow it to influence us, uh, it will uh, sort of stain us. It will corrupt us. Uh, we'll be ruined for God's service. We're not fit for uh, him to use us in the way that he might otherwise. And he says to Timothy that really it should be our aim to serve God as best we can. And we do that, he tells us, by being cleansed or cleansing ourselves. That is, by resisting false teaching and making sure that our lives match our lips that we live out what we claim to teach and believe. It's not enough just to handle Scripture accurately, although that is, of course, supremely important. Uh, It must uh, have an impact on the Christian leader as well. There was another uh, famous Christian leader who uh, was involved in revivals in Scotland many years ago called Robert Murray Machane, and he once said that he thought his people's greatest need was his own personal holiness. 
His greatest need, their greatest need was his own personal holiness. Uh, he was a great preacher. Uh, many came to listen to him. And yet he thought that what they needed most of all actually was him to be holy and to conform himself to the word that he proclaimed. It matters that the Christian leader's lives match up with his lips. They're to flee from all that is evil, pursue all that is good, that God can use them uh, as he sees fit. Thirdly, Paul uses another uh, illustration, a last illustration. He says that a faithful Christian leader is somebody who faithfully speaks the gospel by humbly serving it. And it's again, it's the picture of a servant. Uh, We know that Timothy is facing this situation where there is division in his church family over what the scripture says. All the evidence that we have here seems to imply that he is facing direct opposition. I think verse 25 implies that, doesn't it? Uh, Reference to those who are opposing him. If one temptation for a Christian leader under pressure is to duck out, surely the other temptation is to hit out. It's very, very easy to pick a fight with those who are opposing you. It's very easy to quarrel with them. It's very easy to use your superior intellect and experience to make them look small and to hurt them. To say things that ultimately aren't actually designed to glorify the Lord Jesus, but they're actually designed to wound uh, your opponents. Or maybe it's just to build up your own sort of battered pride a bit. But Paul challenges Timothy on this. He says that rather than being proud, the Christian leader actually instead is to be somebody who is humble, because they are the Lord's servant, verse 24. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Instead of wounding his opponents, he is to shower them in kindness. Yes, he is to take seriously the task of teaching. He's not to cut out the message. But at the same time, he is to do it with gentleness, at verse 25, he says, Those who oppose him must gently, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. He says that adopting a humble approach to those who oppose him won't, well, well it will help Timothy to avoid quarrels, because that ultimately won't help. It's never good when churches end up uh, falling out with each other. Uh, but he says that most of all, it actually might eventually win round those at the moment who are his enemies. Amazing thing, isn't it? He says that actually if if Timothy treats them carefully, if he does explain the good news to them uh, kindly and humbly, in the goodness and the mercy of God, when his word is lovingly proclaimed by those who are clearly seeking to live under it, God can use it to change hearts into those who turn from sin and return to the truth. The Christian leader is to be a person who humbly serves the Lord and his people by lovingly faithfully proclaiming his word. Uh, It's very easy to forget, I think, that ultimately Christian leadership is a ministry of the word. It's for a very good reason that when Anglican vicars are ordained, first of all, they are given a Bible. It's symbolic, but it's very powerfully symbolic. It's saying, really, what the ministry is about. It's a ministry of explaining the scriptures, of handling the scriptures well, and proclaiming the truth of God but it's a lot harder to do uh, than it is uh, to, uh, to think that it's, uh, it's something that should be done. Uh, when I first arrived at Trinity, I was uh, advised by a very old and very wise minister 
that I would soon find my diary absolutely chock full. There'd be uh, demands on my time coming in from every corner. And he said, William, remember this above all, give your best time to preparing your sermons. That's the best way in which you can serve the church family. Uh, whether that was uh, true or not, it's not for me to, to say. But I certainly think the wisdom of his words were borne out by the lasting fruits of his ministry. A very godly minister who had wonderful uh, fruits in his ministry. And I think Paul would agree with him here. Paul knows that there are many things that Timothy could be giving attention to in Ephesus. There's false teaching abounding, and the ministry of the word could really easily fall by the wayside. But he knows that a faithful Christian leader is someone who's called to give priority to speaking out the gospel making time to studying it, uh, uh, making sure they understand it, uh, making sure that it, they, they themselves are letting it shape their own lives just as much as they're hoping it does in other lives. And above all, to humbly trust that as they do so, that is the way that God will change hearts. God's word does God's work among God's people. It's a great heritage that we have here at Holy Trinity. We have a heritage of Christian leaders who've served us here, who've known this to be true, and they've taken that to heart over many, many years. And I'm sure, more, even more sure, the longer I'm here, that any blessing that we might have received is in no small part due to that. And my prayer, and I hope that you'll join me in this as well, is that whoever comes to service as our next rector will be somebody who takes this call seriously. Yes, they're faithful in suffering for the gospel, enduring for it, because there will be times when they'll need to be faithful. But above all, they're somebody who is faithful in speaking out the gospel, who trusts it as the tool that God has uh, given us to change hearts and to change lives. Six days invisible, seventh incomprehensible. Well, I hope not. Paul reminds us instead, a Christian leader is to be faithful in suffering for the gospel and faithful in speaking it out clearly. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, this is a sobering chapter, and it's especially sobering for me as the uh, minister here at Trinity at this time. But it's sobering for all of us, because we are all called to Christian leadership and Christian service in different ways. And we pray that we would take seriously what you have to say to us. We do ask that you would help us to be faithful in standing and suffering for the gospel. We wouldn't duck out uh, or be ashamed of you. And we pray that we will be faithful in speaking out your words, uh, carefully, uh, accurately, lovingly and humbly, and that you would use that uh, speech of ours and take it and change hearts for your praise and glory. Amen.